This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. I'm your host, Laura Alexander-Wittig, CEO and founder of Brightly, the number one destination for conscious consumers around the world. At Good Together, we value the planet over perfection and believe that you can make positive things happen for the planet every day by being a conscious consumer and an informed citizen. Listen in as I chat with various experts about living and consuming responsibly. month, it's estimated that 1.8 billion people around the world menstruate. As you can imagine, that comes with a lot of waste. Because traditional period products are single use, it's estimated that tampons, pads, and panty liners, along with their packaging, generate more than 200,000 metric tons of waste every single year. It's necessary that those who menstruate have great systems of access to the products that they need, but luckily there are ways that we can all cut down on this type of waste. Someone who's incredibly passionate about both periods and the planet is Nadia Okamoto, the co-founder of August, a lifestyle brand that offers sustainable period care products for everyone, including biodegradable pads made with 100% organic tampons organic cotton, (laughs) and tampons with recyclable applicators. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode with us today, so let's get into it. Good together, listeners. I am so excited to welcome the founder of August, Nadia Okamoto, to our podcast. Hi, Nadia. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yes. So, you know, I feel like the conversation that you and I are going to have is so timely because, you know, women's reproductive rights right now are just under so much um, strain um, politically. And as we think about all of the different uh, components of, you know, just being a woman, um, you know, obviously, there are, you know, 1.8 billion people around the world estimates are saying that that many people menstruate every day, right? I mean, not every day, sorry, excuse me, every month. Um, (laughs) But for me, the contest, uh, the concept around waste, sustainability, and, you know, our, our periods is such an interesting conversation. So I wonder if you can just like, get us started with a brief intro of you and sort of how you how you got into this business. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm Nadia. I'm based in New York City. And just as you said, I've been very passionate about periods for a while now. Um, August is a sustainable period care brand that makes tampons and pads. Um, And so right now we make three different sizes of tampons and three sizes of pads. I think that we're most known for our pads, especially through TikTok, because, you know, it is the numbers on the need for sustainable period products is really insane, right? Most pads take 500 to 800 years to decompose. August pads are fully biodegradable within 12 months and plastic free. And so when I was starting August, I had actually been in the period space for quite a bit. Um, I started a nonprofit when I was 16, like eight years ago. And then I had written a book about periods and the menstrual movement, really fighting period poverty and period stigma. So I was really working in kind of like various angles of, uh, you know, this movement to destigmatize periods and um, fight for equitable access to period care. And I think in my advocacy work, I got to know a lot about the products, a lot about the brands and just really study how you can make an impact on sustainability and ending period poverty. 
Um, so yeah, that's, it's been kind of a crazy journey, unexpected journey. And we launched August last year and it's been, it's been super fun. Yeah. I mean, so hearing your background, you are absolutely an expert in the space and I love to hear it. I feel like sometimes we'll talk to folks who started companies because they were passionate about areas, but they don't necessarily have like such a deep knowledge. And so for me, just like hearing that you became, you know, quote unquote, passionate about periods, even from such a young age, like, tell me a little bit about like how, um, you know, how you got started um, founding that nonprofit and what, what about it specifically, you know, what about the the period cycle specifically um, speaks to you from, um, you know, a sustainability, but also just like a personal perspective. Well, from a personal perspective, like uh, obviously I am a menstruator and yeah. I've gotten my period since I was 12, but I think that it was a, a little bit in maybe like some of the family values I was raised with. Like my family was always super open about periods and I was always really fascinated and I think frustrated by the fact that it was an open conversation in my house, but then it was like this really taboo, inappropriate, even embarrassing subject um, outside of the house, right? Like I think that I very much even with an open conversation in the house had embarrassing moments of bleeding through my clothes, being worried that there was a pad bulge showing in my pants in middle school. So I think it was, you know, very much top of mind, um, you know, as a young menstruator, but I think also like I started learning about period poverty when I was 16 and it was just like a big privilege check of here's an issue that I haven't really thought of ever before. But further than that, like, this is an issue that is so much bigger than I've ever realized, right? At the time in 2014, 40 states in the U.S. had a sales tax on period products, considering them, you know, not essential goods. Meanwhile, products like Rogaine and Viagra were considered medical necessities. So it was like a little bit of the fact that I just kept learning about the issue, like food stamps don't cover period products. It's a leading cause of absenteeism for, you know, uh, menstruators in in various countries. And, um, you know, I think as a young a uh, person who starts doing like community service at school and stuff, you're really taught to do your research, find organizations that are, you know, doing advocacy or service work in the space and then reaching out to volunteer. And, you know, volunteering, I think was a huge part also of like the family activities I grew up with. And I remember being 16, being really passionate about this issue, like literally obsessing over period poverty and then Googling to try to find organizations doing something about it first in my area, then in my region, then in the country and just like not finding volunteer opportunities and not finding a lot of like, you know, more mainstream national organizations that were doing something about it. So that's really kind of where it started. I think it was this, you know, issue that I, I, I felt personally really connected to, um, and like, it just, I think it also represented so much of the frustration I had at the world and the, and society as like a young feminist too. I mean, so one of the things that, that really struck me, um, when hearing your background and, and just what you're just saying, Nadia is like the, the concept of period poverty is such a broad issue, right? It's mm-hmm. not just thinking about people going through, um, you know, awkwardness or, you know, even access to products. I feel like, you know, you you touched on something really briefly about um, it's a leading cause of absenteeism. Um, and so yeah. more about like the social aspects around, um, you know, what, what we could, you and I could probably call a crisis going on right yeah. now. 
Well, I mean, I think, you know, in a recent study that my organization had conducted a few years ago found that 80% of teens had either missed class or knew someone who had missed class due to a lack of access to period products, right? I think whether or not you experience period poverty, um, every menstruator can relate to unexpectedly getting their period somewhere, like whether that be in public and then having to wad up toilet paper. And then you're kind of just focused on getting to a place where you have clean underwear and clean period products or a clean pair of pants. And so I think that when you think about, you know, what is it like to try to participate in school, work, society in an equal capacity when that, you know, lack of access to period care to take care of something that is inherently a biological function, but is so stigmatized as something taboo and embarrassing, like how that might prevent one from participating. Um, you know, in the first citywide study done on period poverty a couple of years ago in St. Louis, it found that 46% of low-income women had had to choose between a meal and period care, right? So even things like that and statistics that I think already still underestimate the, you know, the issue of period poverty, those numbers are still staggering. One in four Americans struggle to afford period care. And then, you know, of course, it varies around the, around the world, right? I think that menstruation as like an overall part of human life has been so shamed in many different cultures, including our own. But in other countries still, it sometimes represents the time when, you know, a young woman is then married off because, you know, the gender role of her being a wife and mother has officially commenced, right? Because she, her body is biologically now able to bear children. Sometimes it is, you know, they are not allowed to go to school on their period. It's like, you know, they're not allowed to be in the house. They're considered a curse, you know, something that's con- could con- contaminate people. So I think that, you know, the, I, I can't speak to that obviously from a firsthand experience, but I think globally, you know, there are different cultural understandings of menstruations and, you know, systems of belief that are rather shaming to people with periods. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, we, we all, um, you know, as people who menstruate have stories growing up where we did have to like, you know, step out um, of an activity. Mm-hmm. I remember I was on the swim team and like had just, you know, I I have been re- so reliant on pads myself and had to learn how to use a tampon kind of on yeah. the fly as I got it one time. And it was just one of these like anxiety filled things that happened to me. Right. Yeah. It was just embarrassed, anxious, like, you know, wasn't prepared to learn on my own, found a trusted friend that kind of helped me through it. But even still, yeah. just like thinking about that brings up so many memories for me. And so, yeah. um, you know, thinking about the products that we use, I mean, it's it's probably a good kind of gateway conversation for us to, to, to kind of get into talking about the products, because I find it really fascinating that you started with the problem, right? You saw that we were, you know, I'm going to keep using the word crisis because that's what keeps coming to mind. It's a crisis around the world of, you know, people who are menstruating, not having access to products, not being respected and and all of the different uh, facets that you just explained. Um, So you started with that problem. You started to, you know, you had a nonprofit, you, you, you started to go through the motions and then I imagine products came into play, right? So tell me a little bit about how you then started to understand the problem of waste and, you know, the, the sustainability angle, I would suppose to, to period products. Yeah, well, I think that from the very beginning, my work on the nonprofit side was it was very product focused, right? And I think that it it would take a few years of, you know, gaining experience and knowledge to start really focusing even on like the social stigma that the, you know, legislative advocacy side of that work. But when I started, like I was 16 and I was like people need period products. I can collect and get 
products donated and then I could get them to people in need. So I think from the very beginning and throughout my whole tenure working on the nonprofit, like, you know, I was very focused on products and I was working very closely with brands um, and consumers of these products, right? Like, you know, I, in my time in six years leading the organization as executive director until early 2020, we distributed close to 25 million units of period products, right? So like that is a fuck ton of tampons and pads. I was working very closely (laughs) with a lot of these Um, you know, the larger pad brands, um, I was having to talk about the period care to, uh, you know, the menstruators that we were serving. And then I was getting a lot of feedback where I had no, you know, special interest in making them like the product or getting positive reviews. I was simply focused on making sure that they worked and met them where they were at with their period needs. And so, you know, I think that, you know, when I started this company, August, first of all, I never in my first six, seven years of my career, ever think that I would end up running a period brand. It was very unexpected, but I think it was the result of spending literally years learning so much about the product, hearing complaints, hearing things that people liked, um, working really closely with these brands and getting to know like the values and how people thought of sustainability behind the scenes. And I think that the more I learned about the product and I even had to talk about like the contents within the products, the more I was like, wow, these are really not ideal. And like, these are not products that like I'm necessarily excited to be promoting so heavily. And I think, you know, then I wrote my book in 2018. That was, you know, about four years. Yeah, that was, that was like four years into, you know, doing this work. And it was kind of like, okay, I, you know, in studying the history of this, like this market as commodifying period care, like, I really think that there's also a branding opportunity to use brands and American consumerism, um, something that I, I'm very critical of, but it's something I think is inevitable in our society Yes, to yeah. really foster that um, cultural change too. Yeah. Yeah. You and I could talk about the concept of conscious consumerism all day long. I feel like, you know, it definitely is something that is um, very much at odds with the way our culture runs, the way the world's, you know, culture uh, by and large runs and sustainability but it also is, I mean, in some instances, inevitable, right? So just trying to figure out how to navigate that space has always been pretty fascinating from a business perspective. Um, but so kind of talking more about like the environmental impact of, you know, menstruation cycles as we think about products, right? So we pulled up a few statistics. Listeners know I love I love me a good stat. Um, but, you know, we were looking at um, a stat that said there's an estimate that more than 200,000 metric tons of waste are generated every year from single-use period products, so tampons, pads, panty liners, liners, et cetera. And as is the case with most single-use products that we think about, that whether we're talking about like a fork or a straw, et cetera, like back in the day, period care was not always this wasteful, right? Like in the 1800s, they didn't have single-use products, right? So people would oftentimes use homemade menstrual cloths that were made out of like flannel or woven fabric. Um, and then Fast forward to the 20s, Kotex came out um, and and then started to mass manufacture the first sanitary pad, which I love that they used to call it. It's like, okay, what? So periods are inherently dirty, like so strange. Yes. Called that. Um, but, uh, and then I was fascinated to discover, so for me, it was interesting that like the 20s was sort of the the start of the first, uh, you know, single use pad as it were. And then going, going about 10 years later, 1933, then Tampax came on the scene and, and made a tampon. And so again, doing research for this, I was fascinated to understand like really what, um, you know, what the history was. And when you think about the zero waste movement, oftentimes that is like a reversion back to 
you know, old school methods and people are making their own sort of um, cloth based menstrual cloth. So anyway, I was pretty fascinated to hear that. So tell me a little bit more about like how you went about crafting a better product. And of course, we can talk about health and, and you know, uh, all of the the health benefits as well that come from like making things with organic materials, etc. Well, I think first and foremost, like I'll be the first to admit and point out that August is a single use product. Right. And I think that when we were originally starting this brand as like a, and, and part of like when, what I saw a lot when I was doing the like the nonprofit distribution work was like, it's easy to say, Oh, well, like the solution is to create reusable products that people can have one menstrual cup for 10 years. You know, I was a menstrual cup for so long before it started not be working with my heavy flow. You know, I think that there there are many ways to talk about it, but I think that like I think your period is one area where you will not sacrifice efficacy of a good product or a comfortable product for something that is slightly more sustainable, right? Like I think that's something that I saw time and time again where like we on the nonprofit side we were we would work with um, you know, to get thousands of menstrual cups donated, but when it came to working especially with young menstruators, telling them to insert a silicon cup that is bigger than anything that has ever been inserted into yep. their vaginas before, and then telling them to reach into their vagina and pull it out with their fingers, like it is a daunting yeah. new habit. Yeah. And I think that the unfortunate reality of where we are at with the period stigma is that we still have so much destigmatizing to do to even have uh, open interaction with our period blood, right? Yes. Like yes. this is still something where I think a struggle I see with a lot of other menstrual cup companies is that they launch these products and then they have no brand trust yet. They haven't fostered that relationship with consumers. So there's like less customer acquisition to use like, you know, more formal business terms. So I think with August, like our mentality was like, we really need to meet people where they're at, give them a more sustainable option and then grow together as we create more and more sustainable products. Um, And, you know, I think I totally, I think about this all the time where it's like, would we be more sustainable if we went to the way period care was 200 years ago? But like 200 years ago, your period was also a reason you wouldn't leave the house as much, right? That's it was also true. like, it yep. was something that wasn't as comfortable. It was something that you hid because you were hand washing period blood out of rags and then you were hiding and it was like, there was a lot more shame around it. So I think that period care, I think is one of the places where it's like, yeah, this is something we need to be more sustainable at because as you know, most pads out there have enough plastic for three to five plastic bags. As you said, the amount of plastic waste, you know, per year, just from period care. I think that the biggest thing that we can do as a, as a player in this industry is just to continue pointing out how we can be more sustainable. And I think that even starts with our own products, right? Like one thing we're very open about is like, we have, we still have BPA free plastic applicators. You can recycle them in some municipalities, but you know, recycling plastic, in general is rather like a, oh, it's, a myth in yeah. some ways, you know? Yeah, totally. So I think a lot of what we talk about is like, let's be the first ones to be like, hey, we ch- we actively decided not to do cardboard applicators because our community hated cardboard applicators. Like it is a meme about how much people hate cardboard Oh yeah, no, they're awful. You know, and so it, yeah. it's things like that where it's like, how do we have this conversation about really creating something that serves people's needs and like especially around something as sensitive as periods but like we continue to be really open with ourselves to hold ourselves accountable about constantly becoming more and more sustainable um and then also trying to hold the industry to a new standard as well 
together, listeners. I'm briefly interrupting this amazing podcast for a really quick and exciting announcement. So in honor of Plastic Free July, Nadia teamed up with my team at the Brightly Shop on a plastic-free favorites box. Nadia curated a collection of products that are going to help you live plastic-free this month and beyond. So uh, there's some pads in the box from August. There's refillable deodorant and socks, so kind of in the wellness area. And then just to continue on, you know, wellness throughout your home, we also included a dishcloth, a Swedish dishcloth, and a three-pack of food huggers. So I'm obsessed with this box. To me, I will use all of these things on a daily basis, especially as it, it's my when it's my time of the month. Um, so for $40, you can grab it now on the Brightly Shop. Um, if you'd like to go ahead and purchase that, don't forget to use the code GOODTOGETHER for a special discount. Yeah, and I mean, there, there's so many things that you touched on that, that we get into, but I, I feel like, first of all, um, one size fits all, uh, approach to period care is not, is not okay. Right. Like everybody has different preferences. I personally had tried to use a menstrual cup and also didn't work for me. Um, and so I kind of went through my own journey trying to figure out what was a good alternative. And I've kind of now gone to a reusable pad situation. However, the reason why it's, it's a good fit for me is because I have a baby and we have reusable diapers. So I have this whole washing routine where I can throw a pad in with the diapers and they get super clean. But like, that's its own thing. Like, you know what I mean? If I was just throwing it in with clothing, it would not be getting as clean as I'd like it to. Right. And so I feel like just offering a few different alternatives for people, regardless of where they are, is really important. So you're right. I, I love that you like, you you own and you understand like hey we are a single use product but we also have to be realistic and understand like people need single use products so you know you start with trying to create it better trying to reduce the amount of plastic and you're right you you will continually get there as your company scales you are going to have access to broader uh, material sets and things like you will, you can't right now as a, as a, you know, relatively new company. Right. So there's, there's all these different um, ways from like a business perspective, um, you know, as two female founders, we're over here, like, you know, uh, figuring all of this out as we go, right. From a, from a business perspective. But I do feel like um, the, the concept, concept of scale is something to not, to not shy away from. Um yeah. Uh, what was I? I was just looking at um, just like a really quick statistic, too, about the plastic piece. So tell me a little bit about like, OK, you guys were like cardboard applicators. No, which I hear you. They're awful. And like there's I've had so many fun times dealing with them myself. So, yes, totally hear you. OK, so you said to the community, we're going to use plastic. We're going to attempt to make it as recyclable as we can. Recycling plastic in general is a minefield. We have so many talks and discussions about wish cycling all the time. Um, tell me more about like, you know, other areas of your products that you've chosen to, um, you know, kind of reinvent from a sustainable material perspective. I think a notable one is our pad wrappers. Um, okay. And, you know, we had, it was a big internal discussion of like, okay, we know most brands would hold off on making this update until they could do it with all products. But we were like, That's right. let's just do incremental change. Like, you know, we're going to see, do as much as we possibly can. So 
we were able to change the material of our pad wrappers to be compostable. So not just biodegradable. Most wrappers are like fully a plastic material. Our um, tampon wrappers, um, uh, you know, definitely have a more progress to be made on being more sustainable. But our pad wrappers are now compostable and they break down in hot water. Like it's really, really cool. You can literally That's put awesome. them in hot water. I love it. Yeah. And it, we, we honestly, it's, it's, we tell people like, you don't have to do that. Like some people water it to their plants. Some people like, you know, they just put it in their at-home compost. But I think that it's things like that that has been really exciting. I mean, it's also other decisions of like even how we think about our packaging, right? So like we obviously have, you know, post-consumer recycled material, uh, like cardboard, paper, boxes. But, you know, after the first few months of being in business, we were like, oh, well, we can actually increase the number of pads within a box, which uses just less surface area of boxes, right? Because you just create bigger boxes, so I think it's even thinking about things that way. I would also say that there's a lot of sustainability that we do behind the scenes that like we don't talk about it too much. Like, you know, for example, um, uh, we offset all of our carbon and like I something I'm really critical about, our team is really critical about is like I think a lot of other companies are like, we plant trees and it's just bullshit because like it doesn't actually do anything for 50 to 100 years. Oftentimes those same tree farms are cut down for paper, you know, so for us, like we are also really, you know, we really love being able to be, um, you know, carbon neutral and doing so in really meaningful ways, investing in wind energy, um, you know, really being able to know a lot about the uh, organizations we work with to offset our carbon footprint um, in a meaningful way. Yeah. I mean, and so, you know, of course, it's so hard for both individuals and businesses to do everything right by, by the plan hundred percent. Like it's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'd love to hear about the internal debate that you have, right? Like for some companies it is planting trees. Totally agree with you that most of the time it doesn't have the impact that people think it does carbon emissions and carbon offset. Like there's also a lot of um, controversy about that as well too, right? Which is like, well, that's not enough. You shouldn't generate it in the first place. But again, coming at it from a realistic perspective and thinking, well, like in order to get my products from the factory to our warehouse, we have to generate emissions like everything does. So just trying to have those conversations and understanding more about the gray area is really, really important. And I like I tell our audience all the time, like, a business is the same thing as a person. Oftentimes, like you, you need to hold them accountable. They need to be transparent as much as possible. But we also need to figure out, like, you know, what, how, how can we empower them to do better? Um, and actually, so both, um, you know, August and Brightly um, love to have fun on TikTok, right? Like, yeah. it's it's been such a fun like way to connect with the community and like grow grow a base of people who are excited about what we're doing. Um, so, but occasionally we will get people like comment kind of trolls who will like, who don't see what I just said. Right. They're like, yeah. this is not the most sustainable thing ever. You're terrible. Like, why are you guys recommending that? And so like, I'm sure you guys have gotten that too. And so like, how do you think about having that conversation with people who like maybe looking to you to be like the most perfect option? Like, what do you, what do you say to them? You know, I think that I, what we tell them is really, we try to contextualize it in your period needs, right? Like, I think that your period is very different from other elements of self-care, right? Like, this is something where you do not want to sacrifice on the quality of the product, right? Like, w one of the things that I think makes August really different, and that does really well on TikTok as well, is like, 
oftentimes people hear more sustainable period care and they assume a few different things. One, that it's extremely a lot more expensive, which is not the case with August. One, that it is maybe not as comfortable, like it might be a rougher material. It's the opposite with August. Our products are softer and, you know, because they're plastic free, they're not as crinkly. I think also that it doesn't work as well. And that is like absolutely not the case with August. August is like further leak proof. And we really want to show people exactly how that is. Like we'll do proof videos showing like this is what it looks like when I squeeze and blah, blah, blah. And I think being able to show a lot of that on a platform like TikTok and be really open. Like we, I make like probably 30 videos a day on TikTok. And to be able to like show the process of like, here's what I'm doing. And like, this is how I'm thinking. This is me as like a CEO. Like I'm fucking, you know, just trying to figure this out. And like, we really try to work with our community um, and and get to know about how they're thinking of August and get any kind of ongoing feedback. And I think that having that open route of communication has been really helpful for, I think, people to realize that not only, you know, as you said, a business is a person that's constantly learning and growing, but also to humanize the team, right? I think that- because we are so big on social media, people assume that we're a team of like all these like company execs and maybe like, I'm just a young person face, but like, nah, dude, I'm the CEO. We have eight <laughs> people on our team. We yeah. like just move it, moved into uh, an office. Like yeah. we're a small team. And I think that people get to know that the more and more they interact with our brand. So like, I mean, the person behind customer care, when you email carrot, it's August and co is like, Elena that's literally Elena our team member you know so I think that there's there's a lot of social media and TikTok especially has I think really allowed us to have that more one-on-one relationship with a lot of our customers as well I love that yeah no you're right it's it's talking about things from a different perspective I love for that you're showing the human behind the brand because yeah same thing people often assume brightly is this like massive company with like infinite resources and it's yeah. like no I mean like we're you know we're trucking along we're doing as much good as we possibly can we're gonna keep scaling and yeah you and I one day will be on I don't know Forbes 500 and with these massive <laughs> businesses um uh, hopefully but you know right now we're still pretty small <laughs> yeah yeah so it's, it's exciting to to do that <laughs> awesome um okay so we we covered most of the main talking points I wanted to get through as we as we think about like period waste um I wonder if like you know before we kind of wrap things up I wonder if there was anything else like is there like a myth that you like to bust with people I mean you kind of already talked about like the price point is there anything that you feel like comes up constantly when people are like worried maybe maybe actually we could talk about the health concept like if you're using a traditional pad that has been you like chlorine, like there's all sorts of like chemicals going on, like, you know, what are the potential, you know, benefits of using, um, you know, a, a product that doesn't have a lot of these other kind of gross things going on? I mean, I think it's the same thing as like how you would think of added chemicals in anything, right? Like, yeah. you know what you're ingesting into your body, you know, like, yeah. I think that in the same way, when people say, like, my mom always says, like, you you know, to kind of question nutritional facts, if you can't pronounce a lot of the ingredients on the bottle. And I think that that's even more of the case of something you're putting into your vagina. And I think that it's especially the case with tampons, because like, this is like inappropriate, not inappropriate, but like incorrect use of tampons, leaving it in too long, you know, having bacteria growth, the wrong ingredients, like that has real consequences. And, um, you know, I think that that is something we absolutely do not take lightly. I think like even for myself, like I actually hated using pads before August. I thought that like I would always get rashes and I think I never thought they were comfortable. I was leaking. And 
I think like August, I'm now like even more of a pad user because they're really comfortable, but also like I don't get rashes, they're hypoallergenic. And, you know, I think that that in, in some ways, I think a lot of my motivation is selfish because I've always hated getting my period. It was such a, it was such a hassle. And so now I can yeah. kind of like find an answer to my problems. Um, <laughs> but I think that like, I, I would also say one thing that I think is a really big myth is that um, I think that it's a common misunderstanding to imagine your vagina is like a hollow cylinder that is kind of endless and you things can get lost in your vagina. Yeah which yeah. is like absolutely not the case. It's more of like an airtight sleeping bag um, that's only several inches deep. Like your tampon is not going to get lost inside of you. And it, it's there's a reason why I think a lot of cylinder tampons, um, you know, and how they open. We put a lot of thought into like how the tampon actually opens up. Um, and I think that that's a myth that we're constantly busting through a lot of our educational content as well. Yeah, I love that you're able to do some of that education too, because we all know, especially here in the US, like the amount of education around um, cycles and yeah. our whole reproductive systems and everything is just totally not there. I remember. So um, yeah, like I said, I just, I just had a baby about eight months ago and I, I was like, like just, I did had no idea what's going on, yeah. obviously. Right. Like you go into the doctor and they're like telling you all these things about like what's going on down there. And you're like, wait, where is my uterus? Like what's going on? So I feel like, you know, it's just like one of those. And you go, it goes through another level. Yes. Yes. And postpartum periods. Actually, that's, I was going to bring that up. Like I also used to be more of a tampon person and then went through that whole experience. And I remember them literally telling me in the hospital, like, oh, do you have a bunch of like maxi pads? And I was like, not really. I have a few and like, oh, you're going to need some. Right. And so that's kind of when I went into the reusable pad space, just because I, I was going through so many at once, but totally hear you on the selfish thing. Like have also had problems using, um, you know, disposable pads like that in the past. So yeah, I mean, sometimes we are our best testers, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like for me, it's like, I'm the first person to try out new August products. Cause it's like, if I don't like it and it doesn't work for, you know, it's not something I would feel comfortable putting in my own body, then who am I to try to get, you know, it just, it makes no yeah. sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I will also be curious to see, like, I know a lot of your um, customer base and audience is Gen Z. Um, Brightly yeah. ha- has a similar um, base as well. But I'm really curious to kind of like grow along with the audience as well. And like, yeah. you know, maybe that audience is, um, you know, obviously on the younger side, not quite having kids yet. And so I don't know what I just talked about, right? But like, let me tell you, folks, it's a thing. <laughs> You know, it's a thing. So do you have um, like new mom, like, you know, are new moms using your product as well? Is that something? Yeah, I think I think that postpartum periods, like a demographic who uses them for postpartum periods is definitely not something we were expecting. Yeah. Um, And it's honestly something that I've completely neglected to think about also because I'm not a mom. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think like when we launched, like because I think we were doing so much content um, about like how to talk to your kids about their period and things like that. And then also, you know, our night pads are especially comfortable, can be worn for a longer amount of time and are super absorbent. We naturally started getting messages, emails from people who had just given birth or even like moms in our community who have, you know, very young daughters and, you know, are big fans of August because of how it supported their daughters. So I think postpartum periods is something that comes up pretty daily, especially like on our online community. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. Well, um, to kind of wrap things up, we typically like to ask our guests um, the same question because it's so cool to see like everybody's answer. So from your unique experience as the founder of August, like what is the exciting you the most about what you're seeing going on in sort of the ethical and sustainable lifestyle movement? 
Um, I think that the fact that sustainable packaging and carbon neutrality aren't like differentiators anymore. Yes. You know, I think that if you look, if you think about three years ago, it was like, if someone did a buy one, give one model, it was like, and like, you know, when Tom's was doing it, it was like, oh my God, that's so good for the people. And it's like, now everybody does that. And I think that's a really good thing, right? Like, I think like, I don't expect August to like get a pat on the back for being carbon neutral. And I hope that like, even us being tamp being, you know, tampon tax free and these different benefits of August, like, I hope that those things become the norm. Right. And I think that like the fact that sustainable, like, I really believe that like now if you're a beauty brand, you can't raise capital just off being a beauty brand with sustainable packaging. Cause it's like, it's become more of a norm. Right. And so I think that that things like that are things that I'm really excited to see in, in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you and hearing more about your business. Um, and so listeners, we're going to include a lot of show notes and um, all the links for you to be able to shop later. Um, and if you're listening to this recording right when it comes out, we're also going to be featuring a really fun collaboration between Brightly and August. Yes. Um, so we'll we'll have more links and more info about that soon. Um, but yeah, so wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. and so good to meet you. joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And as a special thank you to our listeners, use code GOODTOGETHER to get 10% off all products in Brightly's brand new shop full of planet positive swaps for your home. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social, where I know you can find us at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together, so have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.